This conversation is releasing during the season of Advent, a time when churches all over are focusing on the themes of hope, joy, peace, and love. And our guest today presses us into the idea of hope. Now, one way to define hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And we've all been there in small and immense ways, moments when we longed for a certain thing to happen, but what do we do when God doesn't make that thing happen? What do we do when it seems like God does the opposite of what we hoped for? Well, our guest, Laura Deal, has navigated hope throughout her life, but particularly through the life of her daughter, Becca. And throughout the lifelong medical challenges that her daughter had to navigate, Laura constantly had to come back to this idea of what is she hoping for? And what God ended up doing was abundantly more than she could have asked for or imagined. But it came through her willingness to trust God in the midst of the suffering, to hope for something different for God's will and not her own. And no matter what you're going through, God is inviting you to hope as well. You're listening to episode 147 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for the privilege of Laura and I being able to connect and that you have provided this opportunity tonight, that you've worked things out, timing and location and technology. But more than that, we also know that you intend to work, whether we see the fruit of that or not. So we want to invite that. We want to invite the Holy Spirit to guide our words, guide our thoughts, guide the questions, guide the answers, because we want this space to be one where we come to know you more deeply and come to represent you well. And we also pray that you would just go above and beyond with whatever you want to do with this conversation. We release it to you knowing that you can do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. So mm-hmm. we thank you in advance for how you will work. And we thank you again for the privilege and opportunity. I pray in holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Laura, I am glad we were able to connect. We've had some back and forth with different things happening. And so I'm glad now we're able to sit. But before we get going, for people who are listening, what would you want them to know about who you are as we start this conversation? Oh, boy, I feel like I'm a lot of things or a lot of people wear a lot of hats. (laughs) It's kind of like, where do you start? Mm -hmm. Because the series that you're on, I think where I'll start is that I am what I call a perever. I'm a parent who's bereaved of my child. Our oldest daughter passed away a little over 11 years ago, took me to a very, very dark place. Because of that, God has, through his own hand, birthed a ministry that my husband and I do full time. We actually live in a motorhome now and go across the country and we do retreats and just visit with people. We meet up at Cracker Barrels, parents who've lost children. We call it the Hope Mobile. Mm. Rebecca, the one who passed, who's with the Lord, uh, she's the oldest of five. And so I'm a mom of five. I still consider her my daughter. She always will be. And also a grandma, married and grew up as a pastor's kid kind of a religious home, a very strict home. And so God had a lot to do. He's still undoing a lot of things. (laughs) You know, you just kind of get ideas growing up or things that are taught, or maybe you weren't even taught, but things get in your head about who you thought God was. And our daughter, actually, when she was three, she was diagnosed with cancer. She had bone cancer in her leg. And so she went through nine months of chemotherapy and had her little left leg amputated at three years old. Mm. And so they found out later that one of the chemo drugs they were giving kids at the time caused heart damage. And so she was tested. She had heart damage. It was moderate. She got married, pregnant with her child, and it escalated the heart issues. And so for 10 years, she dealt with major heart issues. In the last year and a half, she actually uh, needed a heart transplant and wasn't healthy enough to get even put on the list. So they opened her chest up, gave her a six pound pump to run the left side of her heart called a VAD, ventricular assist device. And it ran her heart for her for a while. And she had probably a good dozen ambulance rides that last year and a half. She had three medical helicopter rides, emergency situations. And bottom line is her heart did finally give out. And people say, oh, she received her healing, but that's not the healing I was praying for. But when she was three, I had such a presumptuous faith. And I guess that's one thing about me that I feel like God has really oh, so mercifully done in my life is to show me that faith isn't getting the answers you want to your prayers, but faith is trusting intimately the one who will be with you through how they're answered. Yeah. 
Well, and what's interesting is just before our conversation today, I released an episode entitled God Can. And the focus of that was basically what you were just saying is we often will get to a point where we believe that God can do things, but we try to dictate what those things should be. Yes. And Mm -hmm. what God's inviting us to is to simply acknowledge that he can, like whatever it is he wants to do or doesn't want to do, he is able and are we willing to trust him in that space where he won't tell us what he's going to do? With yeah, him? yeah. When she was diagnosed with the cancer and you know was looking at having her leg amputated, I thought it was like the whole faith. You know, we know God wants to heal. There's no sickness in heaven, kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. and I really believed that the more people I told that God was going to heal her, and the more faith I had, <laughs> you know, how much is enough, kind of a thing. Right. But that he would have to, you know, in a sense, he would be obligated to heal her yeah. because I was just sharing my faith and speaking it out and. So the more people I told, the more he would have to stay true to his word and heal her. And so when that didn't happen, it just really sent me on a faith journey. You know, what is this faith stuff about? I didn't grow up that way. The home I grew up in was not that way. But in high school, I had an encounter with the Lord and began moving in that direction. Kind of, I guess the pendulum swung the other way. And so now God had to kind of bring me back into what that faith is about and that it's trusting him. Mm -hmm. Faith, I believe, is trust. It's trust. And when Becca was pregnant with her daughter, she was given a 50-50 chance of surviving the labor and delivery. They just did not know what her heart was going to do. And when they went to take her back, it ended up being a two-day process. But when they first wheeled her back to get started, I was crying in my husband's arms. And at that point, I said, I don't know why I'm crying because I know that I know that I know that I trust God with whatever. Mm. And my husband nailed it. He said, it's because we don't know which direction we're going to have to trust him for. And that was it exactly. Yeah. Now, at the time, they were both spared, had a beautiful first grandchild. She was small, preemie, but, you know, she's 20 now and mm-hmm. <laughs> doing great and had my daughter, but we just didn't know. Yeah. What's particularly hard is this isn't one of those stories where something big happened, cancer, and you had to navigate all this and you're praying and mm-hmm. God's not working in the way you expect. And, yes. But then she survives it and then everything's good. And that's the story. It's a pocket story Yes, back decades ago. No, instead, it was an ongoing story mm-hmm. with new chapters like, oh, she's pregnant now and 50-50 chance and oh, and this and oh, and that. And, yes. and so you're having to take this lesson that God's teaching you about what it means to trust him. Mm-hmm. And you may think that you've gotten it. And then suddenly you've got this new situation in which it's like, well, but do you really believe <laughs> what you're saying you believe? Do you really trust? And even up to this point, I love how you worded it. Like you knew, you knew, you knew that you could trust God. And yet there is an uneasiness within you or yeah. there was something that you were feeling. And I feel like that's such an important thing because that feeling you're feeling is one that we will really wrestle with yes. if we're experiencing because then we start to wonder, well, am I doubting God? Yeah. Like, is something wrong with me? But there wasn't anything wrong with you. You are a human with a human mind. Exactly. In a rough human situation. And God was probably looking down and saying, I love her faithfulness to trust me even when she doesn't even know what she's trusting. <laughs> Yeah. At one point I did feel like I heard the Lord tell me because when she died, it sounds strange as sick as she was with her heart and for the year and a half that she was in and out of the hospital with that pump and everything. I really felt blindsided when she died, but it was because I really believed God was going to heal her, but it wasn't the presumptuous faith I had when she was little. I had seen her survive so many things over the years. And even that last year and a half, she had a stroke. She had sudden cardiac death. She had septicemia. I mean, she had all these things that should have taken her life. And I really felt like, you know, God was going to heal her either miraculously or somehow she was going to get to transplant. Something was going to happen. And so I really was blindsided by her death, and I was shocked at what a dark place it took me to. Even I used to be an international children's minister and teaching how to bring kids into the presence of God to go beyond just Bible stories and things like that. So I've had a pretty tight relationship with the Lord for a long time, but this just really rattled me. And, you know, feeling like you don't even understand. It's like, I don't even want to be here anymore. Your heart just wants to go be with the one who's lost. You know, I had four other children, my husband, grandchildren. It was just, a very dark place to be. And I was so blindsided, but I felt like at one point the Lord told me that my faith had brought him so much pleasure. Mm. It struck me as, wow, that I could bring God pleasure just because I trusted him, because I believed him 
you know, whatever the outcome was that he was going to get me through it. Now I thought the outcome, I really did, that she would be healed somehow, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't. I know a lot of parents, their faith is totally shattered when their child dies, feeling like God betrayed them, Mm -hmm. feeling like I didn't have enough faith or even being told by other people. You know, it's just crazy how people will just throw those kinds of things at you. You're hurting already. I mean, you're just in a dark, dark, suffocating pit. And then people, it's almost like saying, well, it's your fault that your child had cancer and had her leg amputated because you didn't have enough faith. Mm -hmm. Like I said, something on that faith journey where I learned that faith really is trust. Mm -hmm. It's trust. Mm -hmm. Knowing him enough to trust him. And especially this isn't it. (laughs) This isn't it, thankfully. This isn't all there is. Well, here's what's also unique about your story. There are many people who might have a similar story and they'll still reflect on it, but their life will go in a new trajectory. Or maybe they will write a book, right? And have these occasional touch points. Mm -hmm. You've decided to go on the road (laughs) and basically continue to live in this space of not just remembering your own pain that you experience in the story, Mm -hmm. but walking alongside others whose pain is very fresh. Yes. That's a bold decision to make. And as a human, people could say, you're putting yourself through too much, aren't you? But (laughs) I could see in the smile on your face that God is doing something. God has a grace on it. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because one thing to be able to really effectively minister to these parents who are in such a raw, dark place, I have to be able to connect with that. So that means that a lot of times my grief has to remain fairly fresh. Mm. Yeah, God has given us a grace for that. I do believe that we'll know when that grace is lifted Mm -hmm. (laughs) very quickly. But the way it started, there are so many God stories in this. It's just incredible. Well, God is incredible. And isn't it funny how we're amazed when God does something amazing? (laughs) We know how amazing he is, but we're still amazed when he does Mm -hmm. it. We had a three campus church at the time, the church we were attending. Our pastor, he asked us if we would do a small group for parents who'd lost children. And so I had to come up with a name. And so just praying about it. And our ministry is called GPS Hope. And it stands for Grieving Parents Sharing Hope, GPS Hope. And so that was the name of our just our small group and met in our little family room. And I started hearing from parents that I didn't know who they were, but somehow they heard about me and they had lost a child and they're like, help me. I don't know what to do. And it's like, I don't know what to do either. Let's just walk this together. I mean, that's really all I could do is let's just do this together. And I woke up in the middle of the night with a book title and like these chapter ideas. So I got up and wrote them down and then I went back to bed and it's kind of like, well, I guess I'm supposed to write a book. And this book starts out three years ago today, I buried my daughter. It's called When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. And it goes through rooms of a house, rebuilding our house, our life after our life has just fallen apart from the death of our child. And so we go through the garage of tears and the kitchen of usefulness and the bedroom of rest and the window of fear. And we just rebuild our lives through another God story I won't go into, but I ended up with Morgan James Publishing out of New York. I was in a conference with him and ended up in a conversation with him. And he asked me to send him what I had. And next thing I know, I've got a book contract. Mm. So I've actually, I'm working on my eighth book right now. The rest are self-published, but the When Tragedy is Through Morgan James. And that was just a God thing because I knew nothing about books, about writing, publishing, anything. So God connecting me that way was just miraculous. But it was just like things just began growing. Things like that just kept happening. So I was doing a little bit of speaking. And like I said, I was a children's minister. So the ministry I was with had me come out and share with the children's pastors because if it's a young child, children's pastors are on the front line to something like that to the families. And so I found myself doing a little bit of speaking. So my husband and I started looking at little motor homes that we could maybe hop into as I go around and speak, be comfortable, you know, not do restaurants and have a bed and all that. Mm -hmm. Two years, we spent two years stopping at RV places, YouTube videos, praying, telling everybody, you know, we just really felt like this was something that we needed to do. My husband had lost his job of almost 30 years, had the rug pulled out from under him, nothing was coming in. And so the more we prayed about it, it was like, this just seems like God wants us to just step into this and start doing this. And I was in my prayer room one morning and I was journaling what I feel like he's speaking to me. And we just kind of talk back and forth. And sometimes I write it down. I find myself writing that our oldest son was living with us at the time that we were supposed to sell our house to him and buy a motorhome and do this full time. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. um, now how do I tell my husband this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just took my journal upstairs and I read it to him. And he said, I feel like God's been telling me the same thing. Mm. And within 10 days, we had a big class, a motorhome. Wow. 
we had been looking for two years thinking this was going to be just a little thing here and there. But once we both heard the Lord speak, nope, I want you to do this full time. You're going to sell your house and you're going to live in this. Mm -hmm. Within 10 days, we had the perfect motorhome and we're on the road. And what's so important about what you're doing, and you noted this, when parents are grieving, they need somebody to actually be able to really fully be in there with them in that. Yes. And that's not a place that just anybody can jump into. Mm -hmm. And you made a comment earlier about when you lost your daughter, there were some people that were saying, oh, you know, but she's finally healed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's what I suspected, right? Well-meaning platitudes that just don't hit in the way that the people assume they do. Right. Because of what you've experienced, when you sit with a grieving parent, you're keenly aware of what things were helpful for you to hear, what things were hurtful for you to hear, Mm -hmm. and you're able to be present. Sometimes being present may mean not saying anything at all. And you know these things because of what you've experienced. And What that ends up meaning is that that parent's receiving a gift, a blessing in the midst of lament Mm -hmm. that so often people might not get, but they're receiving it because you and your husband were seeking God. Yeah, God gave you a very big invitation Yeah, and you did something risky that, I mean, there would be people I'm sure that thought it was foolish, (laughs) but you said, well, we're going to do what God said. And because of that, there's a blessing for someone else. Yes. Did you have people that were kind of scratching their heads saying, ah, have you thought this through? Well, if they did, they didn't tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Most people thought it was pretty cool. You know, what an adventure kind of a thing. But it's also, you know, we're not on vacation. It sounds like we're living in a motorhome and, you know, having all kinds of fun. And and we do get to see a lot of the country and we've been blessed that way. But it's not a vacation. Mm -hmm. It's definitely ministry. And my husband and I both feel just so blessed and honored. And I'm a leaker. Don't be surprised if I cry at some Mm -hmm. point. I was a leaker before my daughter died. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I feel like it's such an honor to be called to such a unique group of people I say this very humbly, that God would trust me with their hearts, with such shattered, broken hearts who are hurting. And so many of them, like I said, they don't know what to do with their faith. They don't know what to do with God at this point because I did everything right. I prayed for my kids. You know, we did everything I'm supposed to do. Why would God let this happen? And it's not to put fear into anyone who's listening. I'm doing all the right things for my kids too. You know, if this happens, God will be there for you. But it's an opportunity. I don't know. I just feel so honored. These people are so precious. They're just so precious. You know, when you come out the other side and you start seeing light again and you start having hope again that maybe I can live a life of meaning and purpose, you just come out a different person. You're not the same. We actually travel with Becca's little leg, Mm. her first, you know how you save things from your kids? Mm -hmm. What do you do with your child's prosthetic leg? (laughs) You know, this little tiny three-year-old leg, and I hung on to it. And now it's something that we travel with, and we use it. I pull it out when I speak, and when I share, there's something in us that we just know that's got to be one of the worst things ever, is to lose one of your Mm -hmm. kids. There's something in us that just feels like, I don't know if there could be anything worse than to lose your child because your children are part of who you are. And so when your child does die, it's like a part of your very being has been cut off from you. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn how to live with that part of you missing. Mm -hmm. And so having a daughter with an amputation, we had a front row seat to that. So it's just become a beautiful illustration and something that I can tangibly hold up. It's kind of fun because being a children's minister, I've always you know, used objects and taught with things like that. And so I just have this little leg that we talk about that. And it's constant reminders all the time, everywhere that you don't have your child here anymore. And yet it doesn't mean that you can't live a life of meaning and purpose again. There'll be times you can't run like the other kids. There are going to be times where you have to sit and recover again. There are going to be times that you can do crazy things, but we can still live and we can still have meaning and purpose and hope and life. And it's not in spite of our child's death, but it's because of his or her life that we can continue living. Yeah. There's a question that I want to ask, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to word it. But what you've been describing is something that has actually been a recurring theme in a lot of these conversations is that God invites somebody into this hardship, this hard space, this suffering, this loss that can seem overwhelming 
but they come to know God more deeply through it. Mm -hmm. And though God doesn't bring the healing that they want, what they discover is that they had this new life before them where they're able to come alongside others, yes, support others, encourage others, listen to others. And it's a beautiful, beautiful way that God can work. Now, the reality is there are support groups that exist that have nothing to do with God. Mm -hmm, I mean, it's actually a beautiful way that God's created us as people that compassion can exist whether somebody has a relationship with God or not. Because if God made us in his image, that's a piece of God that sneaks through, right? That's right. But those things can exist. And yet you're called to a space where it was clearly God's invitation. You're doing it, as you noted, through God's grace. You're like, we know when (laughs) we've got to reach the point. So my question is, from your perspective, what's the difference between your run-of-the-mill, beautiful support space and something that God's spirit is flowing through? Well, I think for one thing, one reason that my husband and I, Dave, are so passionate, we really feel like we're called to parents who are believers mm. in, in the body of Christ because of the struggle with our faith. And a lot of the support groups that are out there that are not faith-based you know, we're in a world where they try so hard to be neutral Mm. that it can feel antagonistic and you're not allowed to bring your faith with you. And there are parents that say, but I have to, I don't know how to get through this without my faith. I may be mad at God. Mm. I may be confused. I may be trying to figure things out, but there's something in us that knows I don't know how to get through this without him. And so to only rely on the support of others and to put God on a shelf. Now, a lot of parents will try when they're very angry at God and they do feel that betrayal and things. they will try to put him on a shelf and he'll wait patiently. Mm. But it's interesting how many will still look for someone who is still connected with God who's lost a child. It's almost like, okay, you stay connected for me until I can figure yeah. this out and yeah. you know, until I'm ready to talk to him again in a nice way mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a thing. <laughs> to me, that's the biggest thing is it's great to have support and we need each other. God has created us to need others. But when you do it without that piece of bringing God into it, it just seems like you stay in that darkness for so much longer. And so many of them, it's so sad because they don't have hope. Mm-hmm. How do you have hope that you're going to see your child again if you don't believe there is a God or you don't have a faith in that? And so a lot of what's out there is very dark. Mm-hmm. It's very, if you don't connect with the Lord with our grief. And you know, like I said earlier, this isn't the end. This is the beginning. It's the beginning for our children. Mm-hmm. And yes, I would much rather have Becca here than to have this ministry that we have, but I don't. Mm. And in the meantime, I don't have to pray for her anymore. I don't have to be concerned or anxious, or I don't have to pray for her in that way and pray for her protection and safety. She's more alive than I am. Mm. She's got more life than I do. I don't know how people do it without the Lord. I just don't. It's such a dark place for them that they just really struggle. And we still come in and out of the darkness. There are triggers constantly. This time of year, Christmas season, Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving is a trigger, Mm -hmm. birthdays, you know, the death date. There are a lot of triggers, but at least we know God's with us. And we know that we're going to be with our children together forever. I mean, that's how much God loves us. To know God and to know that his love is so deep that he made a way. He knew even if I did die first before Becca, it wouldn't have been enough time. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have been enough time with her. And so God made a way for all of us to be together forever. And I know some parents, one of their greatest fears is depending on how their child died or if they'd wandered from the Lord or, you know, whatever. It's like, but I don't know that. And they're just tormented by that fear that they don't know if their child's with the Lord or not. Mm -hmm. I really believe that we can choose faith or fear. They they both come from the same place. It's the unknown. Mm -hmm. So we can either have faith in the unknown or we can have fear in the unknown. Fear brings torment. It definitely brings torment, especially when you're tormented that you have a child that might not be in heaven. And so I believe that easily that child could have received the Lord and didn't tell the parent whether it's like, well, you should go to youth group. Are you reading your Bible? Or, you know, it's like, I'm not going there. I'm just not telling them. It could be that at that exact moment of death, Jesus came, reached out and said, will you come with me now? Do you believe now? And that child said, yes. And we don't have all the information. We don't have all the information. And so we can either choose to live in that tormenting fear, or we can choose to live in faith 
that somehow God reached out to my child. And at some point, even if it was that split moment of crossing over, that they received his gift of salvation. I think the story of the thief on the cross is a yes. beautiful story for that because there is just this one moment in this guy's life, mm-hmm. this one small verbal interaction with this guy that he just met called Jesus, who was also up on a cross. Mm-hmm. That small series of words, that was the thing that welcomed him into eternity. Yes. But all of his life didn't reflect that. And there are probably hundreds of people who were looking at him with judgment that if they happen to not be listening for that one minute mm-hmm. that the guy and Jesus yes. were talking, they would have just assumed that that guy was done for, right? Mm-hmm. I think you're right that, oh man, there's plenty of things that we can fear. Yes. And what does it look like to follow the, what, 365 times in scripture mm-hmm. that it says something to the effect of don't be afraid, be strong and yes. courageous. Fear not, yes. Mm-hmm. So I really love that one of the things that's guiding you and your husband is seeking God, trying to catch an idea of what he's inviting you to, and then stepping into that, whether or not you know exactly what it's going to look like, or knowing full well that it is going to be hard or hurt at times, that y'all are willing to step into that. You know, what's interesting is I feel like there are many people who may start at that point. There are many ministries, for example, that start from a point of, I feel like God's calling me to do this. Mm-hmm. But there's something really dangerous that can happen that we can get into our own minds or our own strength and still think that we are seeking God and honoring God, Mm -hmm. but we start to do it out of our own power. We start to basically be led by ministry rather than being led by the spirit. How have you and your husband remained spirit led as you go through this space? Mm -hmm. How have you kept from operating out of your own expertise? Oh, look at us. Like we are now (laughs) the grieving parent experts, right? Like how (laughs) you remain humble and ready to say, here I am, God. I think for me, I have had a heart that I've asked God, if I ever start getting to the point where it's more about me than it is about you, then pull me out. You're right. I've seen that so many times. And I hate to say it's a fear, but it's one of those things. And I did. I admit for a while, I had this vision of this huge ministry and, you know, support groups in every state. And I was trying to do that and working so hard. And, you know, God put people in my life. I gave God permission. I gave God permission to put people in my life and to keep me in check so that my heart does stay for the bereaved parents, for the grieving parents. And that's where my heart stays. That's where my passion is. That's where I feel the Lord flowing through me. To me, I guess that's the biggest thing is to give God permission. And then if those things come our way, not to make excuses or to dismiss it. And sometimes to just plain pull back and do nothing, but just spend time with God and make sure that my heart is still where it needs to be, that I'm not going off in my own direction. That's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very exhausting to go off in our own direction and to try to make things happen our way. I'm not always good at that, mm-hmm. but the Lord seems to be faithful to continue to put people in my life to make sure that I stay grounded in Him yeah. and that that's the source of everything that we do. Yeah. Now, somebody could be on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? So mm-hmm. not in the space of thinking too highly of themselves or operating in pride or like just rushing forward to create the next big ministry. There are some people who God may be inviting them to sit with others but they're convinced that their pain is too much Mm -hmm. or they're not skilled enough or they're not whatever enough. Mm -hmm. And you've described God's grace being the thing that really gives you the capacity to be in those spaces. So let's say somebody is feeling like that. Like I could never do what Laura and her husband are doing. Mm -hmm. What has God's grace looked like, felt like? I will give you an illustration. I do this when I go out and speak. You know those glow bracelets? Mm -hmm. I will hand out a glow bracelet to everybody there. And I will ask him what it is. And I'll ask, is this serving its purpose? Is this doing what it was made to do? Well, of course it's not. But what has to happen to this for it to serve its purpose? It has to be broken. It has to be broken to do what it was made to do. And we will all start breaking those bracelets and watch them just start glowing. So often we convince ourselves that I'm too broken. I'm too broken for God to ever flow through me or use me for anyone. And it's just not true. Mm -hmm. It's in our brokenness 
that he can shine the most because it's not us. It's him. We know it's not us. It has to be him because I have nothing to give. I'm too broken. Mm -hmm. And so you just reach out to the one. You just reach out to the one that God puts in front of you or that God gives you a nudge to call or text or whatever it is, have coffee with. Just reach out to the one. That's all God's asking us to do, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And what's great too is that I think a few things can happen, right? Like sometimes, as we noted earlier, it's not about giving answers or about saying the right thing or anything like that. Exactly. It's simply being present. Yes. You could not say a single word and the other person feels more heard and seen than they had the months prior because there's just something about that presence. Yeah. But the other thing that can happen is what we see often in scripture is that the spirit can provide the words Mm -hmm. that you may in and of your own power, not know at all what to say. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you find yourself saying something that really hits. Have you ever had a moment like that where the spirits brought the words and you're like, oh, that was God? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. I was telling someone the other day, we were talking about writing the book. And I remember reading through that book I wrote that when tragedy strikes, (laughs) there were times it was like, I wrote that. I don't remember writing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so definitely. And I'll just say, if you're sitting with someone who's in a place of grief, don't ever start with the words at least. <laughs> if you have to start with the words at least, then it's not God. I don't think it is because you're negating their pain. Well, at least you know where they are. Well, at least you still have other children. Well, at least if you start with at least, then just don't say it. Mm-hmm. Just sit and be silent and be there. I think the gift of our presence is one of the greatest gifts we can give, our time and our presence, just to be there, like you said. Yeah. When we say at least, we're trying to solve or fix something, right? We're trying to eliminate the pain. Yes, which is natural. Yeah, and it's rarely a villainous thing. No, no. Sometimes it's not a bad thing, but I think what happens is it misses the greater point of what that space needs to be. And not just that space, because you've mentioned it. You and your husband still have moments where you said you slip into the darkness, right? Mm -hmm. In these 11 years or so, you haven't been given the ultimate answer. And now you're like, oh, well, I can close that book and move on with life. Right, exactly. And ultimately what we're longing for, what we're longing for, the answer that we're longing for, the completeness that we're longing for is in that space that you described earlier. It's in eternity. Yes, (laughs) yeah. That's what we're longing for. Mm -hmm. So we want eternity now. We want the completeness now. We want the answers now. Mm -hmm. Why is it that God doesn't just give it to us now? Why does he invite us to remain in these spaces that from our vantage point can seem hard or sad or confusing? Why doesn't he just fix it? Why does he invite us to remain? I think because his desires, relationship and love, Mm. it's like, well, why didn't God just start us all in heaven? Why do we have to stay here and go through all this Uh crap? uh You know, to me, that's a strong word. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because the angel started out there. That's not a given. Just starting out with God in all of his glory and splendor is not a given Mm. that we're going to love him and be in relationship with him. Because we know what Lucifer did, who we know as Satan, and a third of the angels went with him. And so just starting out there isn't a guarantee that we're going to love him and be in relationship with him. But if we see the evil and we see God's goodness within that evil, we see the corruption and we see God's faithfulness within that corruption, we begin to grow in our love with him and our intimacy with him. Mm -hmm. And when we spend this time here on earth where there are struggles and heartache and pain and sorrow and tears, when we get to heaven and all of that is behind us, I love Romans 8, where it says that the glory cannot even be compared to the suffering. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to imagine, knowing the depth of the suffering that some of us go through here, that that glory can't even be compared with it. But how would we know how glorious that glory is Mm -hmm. if we didn't go through the suffering? And I also think of Philippians 3.10 that talks about that I may know him and the power is resurrection. And we get, yes, I want to know him in resurrection power. But it goes on to say, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, guess what? They go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. How can we know the power of his resurrection if there isn't death Mm -hmm. and not even a physical death, but our own dying of our own hopes and dreams and death of, you know, when your child dies, you feel like you died. They just forgot to bury you. Our own death that we go through living in the world that we do. And we go through those sufferings so that we can know the power of his resurrection. Mm. You can't have resurrection without death. 
it's not going to happen. And so I think that's some of those reasons why he leaves us here. And I know one of the things that I really struggled with, and I know most parents struggle with after our child dies, is we struggle with prayer. Mm. It's like, why bother praying if God's just going to do what God wants to do? We all know he could have saved our children from dying. He could have stopped it. And when you hear testimonies of, oh, yes, God, you know, my child, but God did a miracle and, you know, they were in this accident. And and it's like, why don't I get that testimony? I wanted that testimony. Why don't I get that? And it's very hard to pray. It's like, what's the point? After enough parents asked me this, (laughs) I just really took it to God because it's like, God, I struggle with this too. I do. And I believe what the Lord showed me is that it's like a king over a kingdom and his subjects and the peasants, they come to the king Mm -hmm. and they make requests and they lay their requests before the king. And the king makes his decision based on the entire kingdom. He looks at how that request is going to affect his entire kingdom, not just that one person. And then he answers that request based on the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so I may not get the answer I want because I'm looking at my own finite earthly view God's looking through the eyes of eternity, Mm -hmm. and I can't see what he sees. I don't know what he knows. I can still pray because if I don't pray and I don't bring my request to him, there's no obligation whatsoever to answer it one way or the other. And so I can still bring my request before the king, but now I have even a deeper understanding that he's going to take those requests and answer them through the eyes of eternity Mm -hmm. and what's best for the kingdom. You know, you mentioned that passage about the sharing and the sufferings of Christ. And I remember there being this really valuable moment for me when that verse became real and alive. I was on the tail end of a particularly hard season where there was a lot of injustice, a lot of ways that I was mistreated or misrepresented. And I got into a place where I had peace with God, kind of like you described, mm-hmm. like I trust God. Mm-hmm. I don't like what's happening, but I trust God. Right, right. And so I was able to go to the altar and not blame God or not like petition God, but basically just say, God, I just feel like I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm suffering so much. It's hard and it hurts. And that verse came to my mind. And what I immediately felt a connection to was this reality that I was being invited to share in the sufferings of Christ, that Christ had suffered way more than I ever did. Right. Yes. But he suffered unjustly. He suffered things he didn't deserve. And suddenly I realized I actually feel a deeper connection to Christ now than I ever had. Exactly. I've always known in my head that he suffered, Mm -hmm. but now I have a little glimpse into what that looks like. And now I feel a connection. As you were talking, it made me realize there's something I understand theologically that you and so many other parents actually know on a deeper level, because I know that God must have felt pain at losing his son. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Yeah. But you actually know the pain of losing your child. Yeah. So how has that deepened your understanding of God's love as a father? This is one of those things where you can't describe it. You don't know what it's like to lose a child until you lose a child. And you don't want anybody else to know what it's like. You really don't because it's such a horrible place. And I have felt for a long time that there's something there to know what it's like. And I didn't give up my child willingly. (laughs) Would I have put Becca on the line to save somebody else? No way. Mm -hmm. And yet God willingly put himself through the pain that I have been put through, and even more, I mean, he watched his son being tortured and die a brutal death to the point where I know I've been taught growing up that God turned his back on Jesus on the cross because he carried our sin and God can't look at sin. And, you know, if that were the case, God wouldn't have come down to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, where are you? He would have just yelled from heaven, hey, that was stupid. I can't come down there now. I can't have anything to do with you because I'm so holy. It really is the guilt and the shame. It was the guilt and the shame on Adam and Eve's part, on our part, is what separates us. The relationship is the guilt and the shame. And so Jesus took our guilt and shame, and he felt the same darkness that most of us parents feel. I was blessed. I was never angry at God because of the journey I had already been through and some other things that our family has been through that I knew I needed him too much to be angry at him. It didn't make it any less painful. But knowing that darkness where you're praying and it's so dark, I'm used to hearing God. I'm used to feeling his presence. And there are times I pray and it's nothing. And it's so dark. It's like a suffocating darkness. And to think that I can just relate a teeny tiny piece of what Jesus felt on the cross when his darkness was so dark that it was like, God, where are you? 
why have you forsaken me? And he was repeating David's words. Mm -hmm. I don't believe God turned his back on his son for one second. I believe the darkness was so dark that Jesus felt that separation. He was feeling that shame and everything that separated him. And so I feel like it's one of those weird things where when you begin to really see it through those eyes and through that perspective, it's almost like what an honor to be able to know and fellowship with him in just a tiny bit of his suffering, mm -hmm. which also means that there's going to be that resurrection. Yeah. And we get to experience that too. Mm -hmm. And I believe we can experience it here. You know, we don't have to wait until we get there. There's resurrection power here for us while we're finishing living this out here. Yeah. When this love that you're describing that God had for Jesus, for his son as a father, I think what's so beautiful is we can feel distant from God. Mm -hmm. We can write God off or we, like you said, put him up on a shelf mm -hmm. and then we can begin to feel like, well, we've let him down or we've ruined this relationship. Mm -hmm. But as a mom, mm -hmm. you have described how you are still connected to your daughter. You yes. still love your daughter. You yes. you carry the prosthetic mm -hmm. leg. You share stories about her. You think about her. You lament the hard anniversaries and, mm -hmm. and important days. You celebrate the beautiful memories. You have not forgotten her, Correct. even though she has passed on, mm -hmm. or even though you know she's in a better place. Right? <laughs> like uh -huh. there's still this connection. Yes. And I think that is the hope for people who feel the darkness mm -hmm. is that they haven't moved on. They still live. And the father that awaits them is actually more like the father of the prodigal son yes, who is yes. ready <laughs> to run down the road mm -hmm. and to embrace. Mm -hmm. Because just as you have never forgotten your daughter who has passed, God has not forgotten us, exactly. even though we may feel distant from him. And yes. I love that you and your husband get to be a conduit of that love. Mm -hmm. Ambassadors yes, of Christ, yes. mm -hmm. the folks who don't know what to make of God or Jesus in understandably painful, painful, confusing moments. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Let's say somebody's listening right now that is in the place that so many parents you interact with are in. They've lost a child and they are feeling the weight of that. They're feeling distance from God. If you could say something to them right now, what would you want to say? That there's hope. I end every podcast with a phrase. I know a lot of people hear the acronym for hope is hold on pain ends. I don't say that. Mm. I say, hold on, pain eases. Mm. There is hope. Even if you don't have hope, hold on to my hope. Hold on to someone who's been there, who can be that hope for you until you can grab a hold of that yourself. Romans fifteen thirteen is kind of the foundation of our ministry verse. And it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. It is possible to have joy again as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is possible. And so you just keep going one day, one hour, one breath at a time, if that's where you are, and connect with other parents who've been there who can walk with you. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to connect with what you're doing with GPS Hope, mm -hmm. how can they do that? Just go to gpshope.org and they'll find our website. If they want, I send out a weekly word of hope so they can go to gpshope.org slash hope. And they can also look for the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. So we're out there everywhere, books, and we've just tried to provide all kinds of resources. However, you can take it in, take it in. So we'd love to connect with you and email me, laura at gpshope.org. And if they're lucky, they might even see you rolling down the yes. road. <laughs> we love to stop. We'll stop at like Cracker Barrels. We'll meet with people. Sometimes we'll end up overnight in the parking lot at a Cracker Barrel. We just let people know where we're going to be. Come have dinner with us. That's one of our favorite things to do is just meet up and just have time together yeah. just to be together and talk about our kids. Yeah. Well, as we close out, is there anything else that God's putting in your heart that you want to share? I think a couple of things. One is the body of Christ at whole. We are very good at rejoicing with those who rejoice, but we're not very good at weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's not up to us to fix them or pump somebody up or help them get the victory. What they need is someone who will weep with those who are weeping. And I guess the other thing is, you know, I was talking about my presumptuous faith and I think sometimes as Christians, we treat God like a genie in a lamp where we say the right prayers, we do enough, you know, whatever enough is. 
And God is supposed to like pop out like a magic genie and say, your wish is my command. What do you want? And then he's not God anymore. Mm -hmm. And I need him to be so much bigger than me telling him what I need him to do just so I won't go through some pain on this earth. Let God be God. Let him out of the bottle <laughs> and just let God be God. If you have made him Lord of your life, it trumps everything. And even though we do go through some of this suffering, I love, I think it's First Peter 5.10 where it says, after you have gone through the suffering, he will give you strength and make you stable and give you hope and make you whole again. And he will. He will. Just hang on to him with everything you've got. Just like Jacob wrestling with the angel. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, God, through this somehow. read that definition of hope again. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And I wanted to read it because the reality is we are constantly hoping for something. We constantly have an expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. So the question we need to be asking is not do we have hope, but what are we hoping for? And oftentimes our frustration, our suffering might be a result of us hoping for something other than the abundantly more that God has for us. You know, for the last couple of weeks, I've been struggling because there were a lot of things that I was hoping for. Stories that I thought were being written that seemed to be going in a certain direction, an abundantly more direction. And I was getting excited to be able to share those stories with you. And one by one, so many of those stories seemed to go in a very different direction. The outcome that I had hoped for, that I thought was the best case scenario, fell away and I was left with frustration or disappointment or sadness. And I'll be honest, in a lot of these spaces, I had poured myself out and I was beginning to feel weary. Now, interestingly, at just the right moment, I got a text from a friend for the wrong reason. I had reshared an image that I had shared four years ago of me in the back of an ambulance after blacking out for some unknown reason. And a friend of mine saw this, but assumed that it had happened that day. And so he reached out to encourage me. And what he thought was a verse to encourage me during my time in the hospital turned out to actually be the encouragement I needed in my moments of disappointment and weariness. And that verse is Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do not grow weary of doing good. One of the biggest reasons that I grow weary in doing good is because I hoped for certain outcomes. I hoped for certain healing. I hoped for certain restoration, and those things didn't happen. And my human logic would say, then what's the point of exhausting myself? What's the point of sacrificing so much if it's not going to make things better? What this verse does is it acknowledges that there is legitimate logical reasons for growing weary and a legitimate invitation to not. In other words, weariness is not based on the circumstances, but on a choice. And contentment in the same way is not based on circumstances, but a choice. We are invited to not grow weary, to not give up, and to continue to do good to everyone. Laura and her husband demonstrate this in an amazing way. It could be so much easier for them to not subject themselves to the raw feelings of loss over and over again. But rather than protecting themselves, they have chosen to do good to everyone. They followed a wild invitation to get a motorhome and they go across the country sharing hope with grieving parents. And while in their humanity, they may have reason to grow weary, as she noted, God is sustaining them. He has provided a grace because he is trying to do abundantly more, not just for Laura and her husband, but for so many families across the country. Hope is a choice, at times an illogical choice, but it is one that has been offered to us in the midst of our suffering. No matter how hard things are, God is saying that there is something that we can hope for that will not disappoint. But the trick is, instead of relying on our own logic and desires, he wants us to seek him because he knows how to access that abundantly more. Whatever you're going through, do not grow weary. In the midst of your suffering, hold to hope and ask yourself, where did you see God? 
Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?